Father, we do thank you and praise you for this day. We thank you for your word. Uh, Lord, we ask that you would uh, that you would help us, Lord, as we uh, continue, continue our study through the Gospel of Matthew and specifically uh, through the Sermon on the Mount. Father, as we uh, look at the subject here of fasting, Lord, I pray that you would help us to see it in context, Lord, that your spirit would uh, help us to see the meaning and application to our lives. Um, Father, we are thankful for this relationship we have with you uh, through Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Matthew chapter 6, verse 16. Whenever you fast, do not put on a gloomy face as the hypocrites do, for they neglect their appearance so that they will be noticed by men when they are fasting. Truly, I say to you, they have the reward in full. But you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face so that your fasting will not be noticed by men, but your father who is in secret and your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And Father, we do thank you and praise you for this day. We thank you for your word. Lord, we ask that you would help us um, to understand uh, this passage now. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, so this, this passage deals with fasting, which is to, 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 to restrain or to restrict food or other things into your body. And so this week, I've been concerned with, this is sort of a weird subject, maybe I did too narrow of a passage, um, but, but the question as we look at it is we have to remember the, the greater context in which these three verses sit. Um, if we go back um, to verses 5 through 8, we see that the, the, the subject is dealing with prayer, and Jesus uh, begins his teaching on prayer by telling his disciples and the crowd that he was talking to, um, not to pray as two different groups. The first are the scribes and the Pharisees. And the scribes and the Pharisees, when they prayed, they liked to be in a public place. They liked to be on the street corners, in the synagogues, places where they would be recognized and elevated for their prayers. And so Jesus says, don't pray like them, but when you pray, uh, go somewhere where it's private and isolated and I don't think Jesus is forbidding public prayer, but, but his intention is, or his purpose is that when you are praying, when you're communicating to God, don't worry about the people that are around you. You worry about the creator and sustainer of the universe who you're communicating with. And then he transitions and he says, and don't be like the Gentiles. And the Gentiles, when they prayed, they used a lot of chanting, gibberish, just uh, repetitive nonsense words. And he says, don't pray like them. Um, their, their words are meaningless repetition, essentially stammering words. He says, when, when you pray, just pray. Communicate with God in your language for he knows what you need. He knows what you need and he desires to fulfill your needs. And so we're instructed just to communicate with God in plain language. And then in verses 9 through 15, he moves into sort of uh, the, uh, an outline of sorts of, of, of how we can pray. He says, when you pray, pray in this way, a, a, a famous prayer that many, many people know. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. 
And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Then he emphasizes forgiveness, and then he begins to talk about fasting. And so fasting is is very connected uh, to prayer. Um, This week, knowing that I was going to be talking about fasting, I kind of said last week, I'm like, I'm going to fast this week, but I'm not going to. I'm not going to declare what I'm going to fast because I'm afraid that if I say, hey, I'm going to fast for four days and then I get 30 minutes into it and say, ah, I fasted for 30 minutes, I'm good. I didn't want to commit to anything because I, I didn't want to fall short. And so this week I knew right away, I've just been thinking about fasting. Like normally when I the subject of fasting comes up, um, the first thing that sort of strikes me is guilt. Like, oh, I haven't fasted in a long time. I, uh, the last time I fasted, I mentioned, was when we moved to our house and we couldn't get internet service, for like, and we decided that we would do an internet fast. for a, We opted for 30 days. And then before that, I couldn't really remember the last time that I'd fasted. And so I, I kind of went into this week knowing that I had to teach on fasting. So it's like, well, I'm going to fast this week because... I, I know I'm supposed to fast, and so I, I'm feeling guilty, and so I'm going to try to remove that guilt by doing this work. And I, and I saw in my own posture that by doing, or my disposition, or what I was setting up for, I, I was preparing to do the thing that Jesus is kind of warning against, because my, my guilt is, amongst Christians, I think, well, I'm up here teaching about Christian, like about fasting, if I say I haven't fasted a long time, then all of you are going to think, man, I thought, what kind of pastor's gunner? What kind of Christian's he? Because he doesn't even fast. The real spiritual guys do 40-day fast. And so I kind of went into this, but knowing that on Sunday night I was going to fly to Ohio for three days to a pastor's conference. And in Ohio, they have Cracker Barrel. And so I was really looking forward to Cracker Barrel, so I knew I wasn't going to do anything till we got home because I ate Cracker Barrel, and it's, it was tasty. And there was a bunch of food at the conference, and, and, I, and I didn't restrain myself in eating it, but as i was consumed and aware of food and i was traveling with pastor ben and i like food and everything but when you're around him for any period of time you realize that whatever your enjoyment of food is it's nothing i mean he is like a kid in a candy shop around any kind of food and i say this to his face it's it's like obnoxious we're at the atlanta airport and we're going up the escalator on the way home, and we come up the escalator, and there's an Arby's in the Atlanta airport. And he's like, ooh, Arby's! I'm like, Ben, there's Arby's in Escondido, and it's terrible. And he's like, yeah, I probably got a little too excited for that one, but it's good. It's on the other side of town, and I barely get over there. So, And so this week, I was very aware of food, even more so. It was highlighted because I was with Ben for a few days. And so I come to this passage, and I, I, I see right away, whenever you fast, so Jesus is saying, whenever you fast, there's this assumption that, that, that who he's speaking to, that, that they will fast. And in my pushback, I start going, well, who's he talking to? Maybe he's not even talking to me. Maybe there's like a loophole I can get out of this. If we were to go back to chapter 5, verse 1, we would see that this is the Sermon on the Mount. Huge crowds would begin to follow Jesus. He saw them, so he goes up to this mountain overlooking the Sea of Galilee, the the picture behind me is, is this location. This is what they would have seen as Jesus was teaching. His disciples were there. He begins to instruct them after teaching them on the law in chapter 5. He starts teaching them how they're 
their personal righteousness should sort of work itself out in their lives. And he says, when you give to the poor, so the assumption is that the followers of Christ will be generous and they will give. He then says, when you pray, pray in this way. The assumption is that his followers will pray. And now he says, when you fast, the assumption is, is that you will fast. And he really begins with sort of a negative of what not to do. It's very, uh, really simple. He says, when you fast, do not put on a gloomy face as the hypocrites do. That's the scribes and Pharisees. For they neglect their appearance, so they will be noticed by men when they are fasting. Truly, I say to you, they have the reward in full. And so here he says, look at the scribes and the Pharisees and how they fast. Um, fasting was clearly something everybody did. In my study of how did the scribes and Pharisees fast, what I've come to see is, is it's, it was very well known that they fasted on Mondays and Thursdays. And the reason they said that they fasted on these two days was because um, apparently they held to that these were the two days that Moses um, received the tablets from God on Mount Sinai. It sounds very spiritual. I don't know if that's actually indeed the case. I'm just telling you what they said. So they, as the religious leaders, they would fast every Monday and Thursday. Jesus tells us that when they did this, they would, they would put on a very gloomy face. They would neglect their appearance. Um, I'm guessing they didn't use deodorant because of the positive. He says to anoint your head. So they got themselves really stinky and uh, kind of like they rolled out of bed. And, and uh, some of the commentary said that they'd kind of uh, put like makeup to make themselves look pale. And it was a big display for the people. Um, many people pointed out that although they did it on Mondays and Thursdays and the reason that they gave, it was interesting However, that those were the two greatest shopping days in all of the cities and towns. It says uh, Mondays and Thursdays were the major Jewish market days when cities and towns were the most crowded. So while they had a spiritual reason of why they said they did it or, or claimed, it just also happened to be on the days that they fasted is the days when the towns were most busy that all of the people would see them doing their religious duty. And so here I think that the implication is, like the other ones, that who they were trying to impress were people. They weren't seeking communion with God. And Jesus goes on to say in verse 17, he says, But you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, so that your fasting will not be noticed by men, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And so Jesus says, When you fast... Don't do that. Anoint your head. Kind of, if you've ever been to the Middle East, I don't know what they use, but they, they use this oil. It's a very distinct sort of uh, like perfumey type smell. It's kind of like their deodorant or showering. And he says, when you fast, go ahead and anoint your head so that when you're out amongst the people, they, they just won't even realize that you're fasting. Don't make a big spectacle of yourself. Um, it's funny when you fast, or when I've encountered people who fast, how, how casually and how um, accidentally, I don't know if that's the right word, that, um, hey, man, what do you want to go get for lunch? And the person's kind of, kind of like hesitates. It's like, do you want to go eat? I was, no, I'm fasting. And you kind of feel like in that question, like, oh, man, I'm totally busted. Now my whole like purpose is blown. 
I told Anne I was going to fast this week, and she's like, hey, I'm going to make dinner, and I'm thinking about this and that, and I'm just kind of looking at her. And she's like, what, what? And I'm just like, do you know what I'm teaching on Sunday? She's like, oh, you're fasting. Sorry about that. So the question is like, he, he says that your fasting will not be noticed by men. So does that mean if somebody notices that you're covered, like that it's all blown, you might as well quit? I don't think that's the case. John Piper says, um, being seen fasting and fasting to be seen by men are not the same thing. So I don't think it's a big deal if you're fasting and somebody says, hey, do you want to go lunch? It's okay to say, no, I'm fasting. I mean, I'll go with you, but I'm not going to eat. It might be a little awkward. Jesus' point is that when you're doing it, you're not trying to impress other people. And so in this section, really, these two verses, my concern is that we would kind of miss the whole point because, or as I look at this, basically we're told what, like the subject of fasting comes up, we're told not how to do it, and then externally how we're to handle the whole matter of fasting. But, but what is fasting? This week I've been sort of, because it's been on my mind, like, well, but, like, it doesn't say what fasting is here. It doesn't give instructions like on the, like the behind the scenes. What's the motivation of fasting? And so I'm like, well, I got to kind of, I have to branch out from this section to sort of figure out more because I, I certainly am not a, a fasting expert. And so the first thing that we see is that fasting, it's this word um, that literally means not to eat, um, to totally abstain from food. The fasts were sometimes total, and sometimes they were partial, and they ordinarily only water was allowed. Um, if we were to, to back up in Matthew, I'm just going to share. You don't have to actually turn the pages to go there. But in Matthew 4, 2, as the Gospel of Matthew starts out, when Jesus begins his earthly ministry, it says that he went out to the wilderness and he fasted um, for 40 nights and 40 days so that it was... It was evening and morning. M- many of the Jewish people, they would, have, they would have fasts that would be just during daylight hours. Um, I think of um, like the, the Muslim celebration of Ramadan. They would fast from sunrise to sundown, and then you could break the fast in the evening. But it's, So it's however many days they do it um, in the fall. Um, so Jesus, we see in Matthew, he himself fasts. But there's no teaching on it in Matthew. It just or when he does it, it just says that he went out to be tested by Satan. He fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, and then he became hungry at the end of it. Then we come to this section on the Sermon on the Mount, and he says, whenever you fast, don't be like these guys, but be like this. And it's almost externally focused for the sake of uh, who's noticing, namely that if you make it externally focused so that people see you, that's sort of your reward. But Jesus says, you, you worry about the inside and focus on God. And then if we keep continuing through Matthew, we'll come to Matthew chapter 9. I'm gonna, I'll look at this more exhaustively um, later today. But in Matthew chapter 9, John the Baptist's disciples, they were fasting and they were instructed to fast. They were taught to fast. And so while they're on a fast, they approach Jesus and they say, what's the deal? we have to fast, yet your disciples don't fast. And so I learned from that section in Matthew chapter 9 that during Jesus' earthly ministry, although here he says, whenever you fast, his disciples never did while Jesus was alive. So it was just sort of, hmm, interesting to me this week. And then if you continue through Matthew, you won't find anything about fasting. 
keep turning through all the Gospels, you get to Acts. And Acts, fasting is mentioned a, a couple times. Not that many, but the, one of the significant times is in Acts chapter 13, verses 2 and 3, that, that the early church, they were in this sort of this stage of transition that were, were seeking what God wanted of them. So we're told that they fasted and they were praying. And during this time of fasting and praying, God raised up Paul and Barnabas, and they were sent out for the very first missionary journey. If you continue through Acts, there's no fasting. You get to the epistles, no talk of fasting at all, like nothing. So it, it, I'm reading this this week going, maybe I don't have to fast. <laughs> I don't, like there seems to be an absence of, of teaching. It's not really in the New Testament teaching other than what we're looking at today and in Matthew chapter 9, the subject of fasting. Um, there aren't a lot of books out there on fasting. I, I probably should change that. If you go to Amazon and you punch in fasting, there's going to be a ton of books on fasting. Um, many of those books won't answer the questions that we as Christians desire on fasting. We'll learn that um, uh, pretty much every world religion has fasts included in their sort of their 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 worship process or their um, in their religion. Not all of them are the same, um, and nobody knows where fasting began. There's no historical document to say that hey, humans started fasting on this day because of this occasion, and then it began to spread. It's just something that's been there in all sorts of religions. There's one book that I do recommend in all of Amazon. Dealing with Fasting, and it's by John Piper. And the title of the book is A Hunger for God, Desiring God Through Fasting and Prayer. And I think it's probably the most balanced, um, biblical sort of Christian approach to to what is fasting all about. If this is something that um, you want to learn more about. Um, So who else fasts? In my mind, some things that have come up, I think of Gandhi. I have no idea what Gandhi really, I'm kind of, I probably should admit that. I mean, I know now because I've researched it. So I have a better pulse of Gandhi. But last week, if you said, who are some people that fast? I think, well, there's political reasons. And Gandhi fasted. I knew he fasted. Guy practically starved himself to accomplish things. In the news right now, there's a Marine veteran that's being held in Iran prison. And he's been going through hunger strikes and they've said, hey, you've got to stop this because it's, it's hurting the cause. So he ended his, his hunger strike this week. And so there's a number of, so there's religious reasons that people fast. There's political reasons that people fast or go through hunger strikes. Um, there are also health reasons. Um, if you have to go to the doctor and have a procedure, they say, hey, you're going to have to fast for, you know, for whatever period before you go into the, the, the medical operation. There are people who, for health reasons, they do their, their cleansing process of their fasting simply for health reasons or to lose weight. Um, none of these are distinctly Christian. So there's a, there's, a, there's a, when Jesus is talking about fasting, when we as Christians are coming to the subject of fasting, and what does fasting mean to us? A lot of these other reasons, they're not, they're not what the Bible is talking about. And so looking at the New Testament, there's not a whole lot about fasting. And so this week I started going, well, what's in the Old Testament? What can we learn about fasting from the Bible? 
Um, there, are, there are a number of cases. Um, there, there is a lot of vagueness. Um, the first thing that stood out to me is fasting occurred in the Old Testament by people when they were confronted by their sin. And their sin was sort of exposed before them to where it cut them deeply within. And as they um, felt the guilt and the shame and the sorrow of their sin, it resulted in fasting. One, one such case is in Jonah chapter 3. We all know the story of Jonah. If you've seen VeggieTales movie uh, or if there's a book in the Bible that's all about it, you know, they're both there. They're great. Um, you know, little Jonah, he's this prophet. He's commissioned by God to go to the people of Nineveh to basically proclaim that God's wrath is coming. Jonah did not want to go there because these people were, were wicked. They were evil. They were vile. Um, they were a horrific people. And so Jonah didn't want to go for fear that they might respond to the message and that God's mercy would basically uh, respond in compassion towards the people. So he runs. God intercepts him. Uh, works on Jonah. Jonah goes to Nineveh. He walks into the town and he says, God's judgment's coming in so many days. And that's all he said. And then the, all of the people respond and repent. Um, we're told in Jonah 3, 5 that there's a fast that's declared that from the king all the way down to, to the dogs that were their pets, everybody, people and animals, everybody needed to basically uh, dress up in sackcloth and to fast, and it was this fasting out of uh, a sign of, of, of remorse, sorrow, and agony over the sin that they had caused. Jesus would reference them uh, to the Jewish people that at the end times that the people of, of Nineveh will testify against them. So I think there are times when we're confronted with our sin where it almost makes us sick to our stomach where we don't want to eat, and and I think that there's hope for the Christian that in Christ we're told that our sins can be forgiven, that Christ washes us white as new. Other cases of fasting that I've seen in the, in the Old Testament are cases where a person needed either wisdom um, going forward, dealing with a life change, uh, direction in a given area, uh, the, the one example that I thought of is in Esther chapter 4, verse 16. We went through Esther some time ago. And Esther, as she's finally sort of confronted that she's been in this place, this strategic place as queen, that she has a, a unique opportunity to be used by God to spare the people of Israel. And she was terrified to do it. And finally, through a series of pressure by a family member, he convinces her that she needs to do it. And she says, fine, I'll approach the king. And she looked to all of the people around her and she said, all of us, we need to fast. Uh, the word pray is not used there, uh, but that's sort of specific to Esther. But fasting is always kind of connected to prayer. And she says, we need to fast for three days. I'm gonna go there, but I need you to fast. I need you to help me with this decision. Um, I think this time of year, we have people graduating from, you know, high school, college, different seasons in their life. I think that these big significant changes in a, in a life where you have a decision to go left or right, I feel like this is a very appropriate time um, biblically for a fast to seek God's wisdom. I remember uh, this Wednesday is the eight-year anniversary of, of our coming up to Valley Baptist Church. And I remember before that, I, 
I, I, I did a, a hybrid fast. I mean, it's a total fast, but I didn't like, I did not eat. But what I did was, is I, for, a, I don't even know how long, but all I did was like eat salad. Um, like if it was salad, I could eat it. And I, you can get pretty hungry eating salad. And so I spent like, I don't know, like a, a few weeks really praying that God would, would direct me and guide us as a family to where we were supposed to go. And so we see that um, uh, sort of direction. I, you know, I hear Christians all the time. Like, all the time, all the time. We're going to hear it more and more in the next year because we're going into an election where we hear Christians, oh, our country's going to, you know, a place in a handbasket and we, oh, we complain. And it's like, well, when was the last time you fasted and prayed for our nation instead of just complaining about it? I, I think that would be an appropriate time <laughs> um, instead of complaining about the way things are going, but to really uh, to fast and to seek God and to, to ask him to guide us as a nation. Um, there's one place in the Bible that fasting is actually commanded. It shocked me. If you asked me last week, how, how many times does the Bible fast? I'd be like, oh man, it's probably on every page because I'm so guilty of not fasting. I like. But there's only one place. And it's found in Leviticus chapter 16, the, the story of the scapegoat. Um, it's a Jewish holiday of Yom Kippur, which is known of, as the Day of Atonement, where they would, they would gather and they would uh, reflect on the consequences of sin. It was a very serious event. And in Leviticus 16.31, we read, It is to be a Sabbath of solemn rest for you, so that you may humble your souls. And that phrase, humbling your souls, is what fasting is. That, that to fast, to restrain from food, is this sort of this, this humbling of your uh, spirit. Um, it is a permanent statute. And so we, looking back to the cross, we recognize that Jesus really fulfilled the day of atonement, Yom Kippur, that at the cross, he was the sacrifice that ultimately paid for our sins. And so how that command of fasting, in light of what Jesus did, I want us to now turn to Matthew chapter 9. I had mentioned it earlier. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 14, so Jesus has said, when you fast, fast like this. And then as we progress in the story, it's after the Sermon on the Mount is over. Jesus is doing his ministry. In chapter 9, verse 14, we read, Then the disciples of John came to him asking, Why do we and the Pharisees fast? I love the emphasis. Why do we have to do this? But your disciples do not fast. And Jesus said to them, the attendants of the bridegroom cannot mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them. Can they? But the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them and then they will fast. So Jesus says, my disciples don't fast because I'm the Messiah. I am with them. Uh, this is a, a, a tremendous, there's, there's absolutely no need for them to fast because I'm with them. Then he's going to go and expand about that something Something different is happening. And he uses the illustration that you don't take um, new cloth to patch um, an, a, a, old, a hole on an old pair of cloth because when you wash it, it'll make a new tear. Or you don't put new wine into old wineskins because as the wine ferments, uh, it'll cause a, a rupture in the bag. And so here we get 
in Matthew 9, there's, there's a new aspect, a, a, a new picture of what fasting really is all about. And, and it's almost this picture of homesickness. Because Jesus is going to be gone and, and we live in an era where we have the indwelling of the Spirit. We have the hope that one day in Christ we will be with him again, either in our death where the scripture says to be absent from bodies, to be present with the Lord, or he will return and we will be with him. Um, As we take communion today, we're told that we're only going to do this until the Lord returns. And then when we're with the Lord, there will be no more communion. We will be in communion with him in eternity. This this week, traveling, homesickness. I I love traveling. I, I, I I really, I don't think, you, I don't have to convince anybody. I, I absolutely love traveling. But I'd much rather travel with my family. Traveling with my family is a blast. But then when I'm, when I'm forced or required to travel and to separate with my family, it's just not the same. And so there I was in the land of Cracker Barrel this week, like enjoying the food. It was good. It was fu- like, it was fun. And in the midst of all the conferences, you know, Anna's texting and we're halfway talking. There's a lot of distractions. And and it's kind of like, man, instead of eating Cracker Barrel, I'd rather be home eating macaroni and cheese with the kids. And there's like this longing, like I'm here and I, and I want to. And I, I know I'm not fully experiencing what I would be experiencing with them here. I have a relationship with them and I love them, but we're separated. And I think Christian fasting is the same thing. Like we have Jesus, but it's not like it's going to be one day when we're with him. And there's this longing and this, ho- this homesickness for him. John Piper in his book that I mentioned, in the introduction, he writes this about why he wrote the book. My aim and prayer in writing this book is that it might awaken a hunger for the supremacy of God in all things, for the joy of all peoples. Fasting proves the presence of and fans the flame of that hunger. It is an intensifier of a spiritual desire. It is a faithful enemy of fatal bondage to innocent things. It is the physical exclamation point at the end of the sentence. This much, O God, I long for you and for the manifestation of your glory in the world. So this picture that as we fast, as we say, I'm not going to eat, I'm going to fast, it's it's not something you do in hindsight. It's not like, oh, you start your day and you look at your clock and I'm like, man, it's three o'clock. I didn't have breakfast or lunch. Oh, I'm fasting. <laughs> That's not fasting. <laughs> fasting is you kind of have to declare beforehand, I'm gonna, Lord, I'm going to fast. Lord, maybe you show me. And then as you fast, as you restrict food, which I did this week a couple times, uh, probably failed once and I restarted the next day, is that as you begin to restrict food, you realize, man, I'm hungry. And then it kind of forces you to pray. And then as you pray or as you go about your day, it, like God could sort of sprout things up that, that aren't necessarily related to fasting and praying, but th- to show you like, hey, these things are causing resistance in our relationship. Um, another point with fasting is it, it could extend beyond food. Uh, Dr. Lloyd Jones, Jones, who's a like a, a preacher from the old day, who's been with the Lord for a long time now, he writes this on this section. He says, um, "Fasting, if we conceive of it, truly must not be confined to the question of food and drink, 
Fasting should really be made to include abstaining from anything which is legitimate in and of itself for the sake of some spiritual purpose. There are many bodily functions which are right and normal and perfectly legitimate, but which for special peculiar reasons in certain circumstances should be controlled. That is fasting. And so fasting, it's probably obvious. Like we, we can fast food, not fast food. See, it's funny how your mind starts saying, oh, fast food. <laughs> it sounds really good right now. Um, but when we're fasting food, the restraining of food, we also could fast or restrain other things. Um, we, we live in a culture where there's so much that distracts us from God that causes resistance. I think food in, in a, like a third world country or going back to the setting with Jesus, you know, before electronics, before cell phones, before smartphones, before television, before the internet, before Facebook, beyond all of these other things. Uh, uh, meals were a significant operation. If you go to a third world country, you have a meal, but it requires preparation that lasts a long time. The whole process is just really consuming. And so when we fast something, fasting is stopping, abstaining from something that's good. Fasting is not abstaining from sinful things because sinful things we shouldn't do. We should, we should control our flesh. It was like, oh, I'm, I'm not fasting, murdering people anymore. I'm, uh, you know, like all of the, I, I forget, uh, what is it? Lent, like during when I was you know, raised Catholic, the, my brother-in-laws were like, yeah, I'm fasting for Lent this year. It's like, oh, yeah, what are you fasting? I'm not throwing rocks at whales this year. It's like, oh, you do that a lot already, huh? I'm like, it's okay to be confused. It's a... But fa- fasting is sort of examining, like there could be something good in my life. The, the one thing that I saw in the New Testament, in the epistles that was closest to really what I think is fasting is in 1 Corinthians 7. Um, I'll just turn, instead of trying to stumble my way through and quoting it in embarrassment, I'll just read it. This is the closest thing I could find in the New Testament in the epistles dealing with fasting. And Paul is talking on relationships within the context of marriage and so 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 5 says, um, stop re- dealing with husband and wife, stop depriving one another, except by agreement for a time so that you may devote yourselves to prayer and come together again that tempted, Satan would not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. So there's an aspect where Paul talks of fasting, fasting in the context of marriage with sexual relations. He says, if both of you agree, it's okay to, to stop your relations so that you can focus on prayer and seeking God. So this is a fasting of something other than food. And so I think that it may be that God is convicting you in something else that is restricting your relationship with him. In the Celebration of Discipline, which is another book by Richard Foster, he has a chapter on fasting. And in that chapter, he writes this. More than any other discipline, fasting reveals the things that control us. This is a wonderful benefit to the true disciple who longs to be transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. We cover up 
what is inside of us with food and other things. And so I can't, from Scripture, say you must fast this amount. From the Scriptures, what we see is that fasting is a part of the life cycle of a follower of Christ. It could be that you're going through coming out of sin and you're just broken up over it and you just want to fast in your repentance like the people of Nineveh. It could be that you have a major life decision that you you really just want wisdom to navigate. And so it could be that you decide that you want to fast in that way. I think for most of us, the area where developing like a natural cycle of fasting where it may not even be food, although food, a fasting of food could lead to something else. It could be this homesickness for God that, that in the busyness of life, like I've been, I got, fasting food led to a whole lot of other con- convictions that it's like, ah, this little phone that's supposed to give me all sorts of freedom is really like a ball and chain that is really restrictive of my relationship. And, and so I need to fast this for some point. And I would suggest that whatever it is, if you think about fasting, you think, oh, I just, I just can't. And maybe it's sports. Maybe it's food. Maybe it's social media. Maybe it's a television. Maybe it's your family or your work. But there could be something that you recognize or that you're convicted of that is this resistance that's causing a barrier to your relationship with God. And today as we take the Lord's Supper, one of the fascinating things about food is we really, um, God could have created us so that we didn't need to eat. He could have made us so that we could just exist. And some have suggested that the reason that we eat, we know all of the reasons that we need to eat, but but the reason that we need bread and sustenance, some have made the case that the only reason that we need this is that when Jesus, when he came and he says, I am the bread of life, that suddenly we would get this picture that as much satisfaction as eating brings, and I love eating. I mean, I could talk all day. I mean, I mean, I, I would say that I like eating compared to Ben. Like I get a little convicted when I'm right here because I don't love it like he does. But I mean, I really enjoy it. But I realize when I'm around him, I don't love it as much as he does. But I love it. And I feel like I can say that without feeling like I'm sub, you know, my, I like eating. But eating this pleasure of food is just this emblem of the things that are to come. Like this is a beautiful gift that we have from God, the, the consuming of food. But ultimately, when we're in heaven, there will be no eating of food. We will be with him and be utterly satisfied. And so today, as we come to communion, there's broken crackers. The broken crackers are symbolic. They're emblems of Jesus's body on the cross that was broken for us. And so as we come to the Lord's table, as we take communion, we're reminded that it's not our own righteousness 
that brings us into relationship with him. We have no righteousness to offer. And so as we take communion, as we take the cracker, we're reminded that he did it all for us. And the grape juice is is a symbol of the new covenant that we're secure in him. Um, When we looked at fasting in Matthew 9, he goes on to say, in verse 17, nor do people put new wine into old wineskins, otherwise the wineskins burst. And the wine pours out and the wineskins are ruined, but they put new wine into fresh wineskins and are preserved. And I think that this is like, this dealing with the juice and communion, it's, it's to remind us that what Christ did, it finished everything, it's secure our salvation is not contingent on our works and our failings. And that brings so much hope. We're also told that as we come to communion, that we're to confess, that we're to reflect, to remember, uh, to have a time to pause, to let God lead us, to show us areas maybe that we're holding on to, sin in our life that we need to let go, that we would be reminded to confess, to ask him for help. We're also told that we're to proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. So we're reminded that as we take communion, as we celebrate the gospel, that Christ died for our sins, that he was buried and he rose on the third day, that this is where life is found. So I'm going to pray and we're going to take communion. I'm going to set it up down here and um, just take time just to, to reflect, to be quiet. And when you're ready, you can come receive the elements and take them back to your seat and just take them when you're ready. And so, Father, we do... Thank you and praise you, Lord, for this day. I thank you, Lord, for this relationship that we have with you. Father, we're so prone to turning our relationship with you into a religion of works. And so, Father, as we um, study this section, Lord, dealing with uh, prayer and fasting, Lord, I I pray, Lord, that you would help us um, to really get it, to really understand that you want relationship with us. And so prayers communicating with you, um, fasting, Lord, is a way that we can restrain things in our life, good things that you've provided for us, Lord, that we can remove these things in order to renew and refresh in um, our relationship with you. And so as we prepare to take communion, Lord, I, I, I pray, Lord, that you would help us to see, Lord, where we stand with you. If people are here and they haven't received Christ as Savior, I pray that you would help them to take that step of faith and trust in you for salvation. For those of us who have believed in you for salvation, Lord, I pray that you would um, just convict us of maybe sin in our heart, Lord, that we need to confess, that we need to let go of, that we need to move from. Father, if there are good things in our life that are sort of creating resistance, Lord, I pray that you would show us if there's something that we need to fast, Lord, that we um, would experience you more fully. Um, I pray that you would build a fire within us, that you would develop a love for you, Lord, that we would truly be homesick for you, that we would long to be with you. We thank you, Lord, for the cross, that your body was broken for us, that through your death, through your blood, 
we're washed white as snow. And Lord, as we take this communion, we pray um, that you would help us to see our, our neighbors, our loved ones, our coworkers, those that don't have Christ, Lord, that you would help us, Lord, um, to be a light, that we would be willing and courageous enough to share Jesus with them. We love you, Lord, and it's in Jesus' good name we pray.